is Timestamp, the podcast dedicated to capturing this moment in time. I'm Amy Breslow. Today's episode is a compilation. The day after the election was called for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I started thinking about the voices that I've had on the show over the past couple months. And I was really curious to talk with folks again, to find out what they were thinking and feeling now that the election was done and a result had been announced. Fortunately, there were a number of previous guests who were willing to talk with me to share their thoughts, feelings, and hopes for the post-election world. First up was Jolana, who identifies as a mother, a woman of color, and an educator. We picked up the conversation as Jolana described her reaction to the president-elect's acceptance speech as he spoke to American educators about having one of their own in the White House. I heard it live. (laughs) I heard it live and I was excited. I jumped up, I clapped. I didn't know that I would be that excited about that. I didn't realize that I had grown so apathetic and depressed about the other things. So when, when Biden said that, I jumped up with excitement. I had hope, you know, before Biden was uh, actually elected president, I was thinking, what is the point of college? What is the point of higher education? I just felt like, what was the what is the point of all this? It seemed like it was a joke to have respect and to have morals and want to better yourself and to be smart, to to try harder, to have integrity, all this stuff I'm thinking about. So I was definitely unhappy with DeVos because it's it seemed like once coronavirus hit, that there was really a big divide between haves and have nots. If you don't have the money to send your child to private school or you don't have access to a private school, it seemed like, well, you're stuck with this. Either your child can go in for private school five days a week or close to five days, public school, not at all, or maybe a little bit. And then it seemed like with education, college, higher education, DeVos had such a big thing where... um, the privatized educational sect. It looked like they were taking all of people's money and people weren't getting anything out of it. And then uh, with uh, other colleges, private and public, you have students that go to college, they get college degrees, they have all these student loans and they can't get a good job or the jobs are not long lasting. All these things are going on. So I was like, wow, after hearing that Jill Biden will, she'll be the first lady I'm just so hopeful that the educational system will really be something to marvel at in the United States. Because I feel like for the longest, education in the United States has been such a joke. I'm just hoping for big things in education because I can, I already feel from public education where I teach, I feel like students just don't take it seriously. And and I just hope that we're going to make such big strides forward. I did definitely see 
the debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. And I was just annoyed because I've been in that position where you have things to say as a woman of color and you're educated and you bring viewpoints and it just seems like people don't want to hear you or they overtalk you or they minimize you. So I understood where she was coming from, but I didn't really believe at the time, like, wow, they're going to win this. I just, I don't know. I just, like I said, I, I just wasn't sure about everything. But when she won and she came out to that Mary J. Blige song, I was like, wow, it felt amazing. It felt like I was validated. I thought of my mom and my grandma and my great grandma, my aunts. I mean, I have so many strong women around me, friends. And um, to see her on the stage, she's a graduate of an HBCU. I'm a graduate of an HBCU. It just made me feel like, you know what? I can do anything. I can be anything. Her speech, her poise, her professionalism. I just think that Kamala Harris is just a great female role model for women of color, but for all women. And for her to be the first female vice president of the United States, I, I just, I'm speechless. I really am. And I, I feel like women have so much to share and so much to add. You know, sometimes people think, oh, a woman and the woman in office, she's going to be a bitch. All right, maybe she might be a, you know, the B word or whatever, because you got to be strong, you know, in, in, in the business world and the positive politics world and the professional field. I got, I got all that, right? Women just have so much to add and so much to share. And I just think, I just think she's just going to put a spin on a, a great spin on so many things. And she's going to be a great advisor and innovator and creator and her, her and Biden are going to be a great team. I can already see that. Next up is Chris who identifies as gender non-binary. Leading up to the election, I honestly, for that whole week of, from that Monday until we got the projected results, I kind of shut down. I focused on a puzzle and watched a lot of Star Trek just to escape the situation we were finding ourselves in. Because even when Biden was declared the projected winner, and Arizona was flipped and New Mexico was flipped and Georgia was leaning towards it. There, there was no celebratory moment for me. Even though people were reaching out full of joy and relief, it felt very much of we had achieved the bare minimum. We got to a point where we're not gonna have to fight the government anymore but we still had so many individuals who were voting for somebody who had represented so many bad things and had done so many horrific things to American citizens. And it took a couple of days, honestly, to, to feel that relief deep down and to have everything catch up emotionally. Part of protecting myself from the possibility of the current administration winning again meant protecting myself from feeling 
hope if Biden's administration won. And when, when you protect yourself from hope, well, let me rephrase that. Hope is intoxicating and it's very easy to say, oh, Biden won, we're going to be okay and to not keep up the pressure that we've had to keep in order to get him into office. And part of him winning is a sense of relief that we have an adult, somebody who is emotionally mature in the White House, but part of it is also this concern of, well, it's not just the White House, it's also the Senate. And the changes that need to be made need to be made are big sweeping changes that will not come easily. It's easy to slip back into, okay, we're okay now. It's easy to become complacent again to the situation as it is. And so kind of him winning was a combination of a big relief that it's okay to be me again, that there's going to be some justice in the end. I might have to fight for that justice, but at least if I get to the end point, it will be fair. But also a concern that some it took so many people coming together to get to where we are. I'm worried those the people who had to come together are gonna to fall apart now because they'll say, well, it's not my fight anymore. I did what I needed to do. As a member of the queer community, on the day-to-day, nothing has changed, and nothing can even begin to change until Biden takes office January 20th. However, what has changed is that underlying emotion that is being held collectively around the nation. With the current administration, there every day, if it did feel like every day there was a new law being put into effect or a protection being rescinded, for individuals in the queer community. Now, with Biden going into office, it's this deep breath of this big sigh of relief, knowing that some of those protections will be put back in, that there is somebody who understands why there's a need to have acceptance and protections rather than to sow divide amongst people. It's not that in the like next year everything's going to be rosy. No, things were never rosy, but now it's we have the government resources with us. We have somebody in the in the office who will push with us too. And if we get something to his attention, he will do something. He will do whatever he can. And that's not to say that whatever issue does go in front of him means that he'll get all of his attention. But it's definitely a lot better than what's who's currently in office. And so it's just it's knowing that and knowing that there's that support that helps change how issues are handled and how processes are going about, how safe enough people feel to show up as their authentic selves. Elsa identifies as a Mexican immigrant, a mother and a child advocate. In part, she discusses how she talked about the election with her three-year-old and her four-year-old. I would be watching the debates and they will be next to me. 
many instances of the debate, I was very frustrated and they would notice. So I would explain why I am frustrated in terms that they could understand. I would say like, you know, everyone is important. Everybody deserves a choice. Everyone deserves to be treated equally. I think they saw like when I was frustrated and why I was frustrated at the person who I was frustrated. <laughs> so, you know, children, they read upon that. And I think that from them to know, like, I mean, and even my four-year-old could say like, oh, that's the bad guy and that's the good guy. <laughs> and I didn't want him to feel like it was like that, just like black and white, back. but it was more for me explaining to him that there's certain actions that we expect from people who are in government for them to see everyone and treat everyone with justice and respect. So I think we talked a lot about respect. I talk, we talked a lot about being able to share ideas and sometimes we don't agree, but we have to be able to talk about things. And during the election, we were glued to the TV, right? Just watching the news, looking at the map, and he was very intrigued about the colors in the map and what did they mean. So I would tell him, you know, it's like we were all voting and now there's the result and they have to count all the votes and make sure that they are accounted for and then we're going to know who the winner is. So it was really interesting for them to see the whole process. And then a Saturday morning when my friend texts me and say the election results are in, I knew that at five o'clock, I had to be in front of the TV and have them see what was happening. Because I know it's a moment in history that even if they're, they're three or four, that they could still see it. And to be honest, when Kamala Harris said her speech, I was, I mean, I just really, really, <laughs> there was a lot of crying and like happy relief, healing, a uh, hopeful type of cry where you just, you know, you lose it for a minute. And they were like, oh my God, mommy, are you okay? Why is that? Explaining to them that sometimes you cry because you're happy. And sometimes that you're able to express your emotion, like your body is just like takes over <laughs> the emotions. But they got to see that with me and my husband. And it was such a wonderful moment for us to share. It's just exciting times for them to see. And again, like, I think as a family, we felt like, oh, God, okay, we could breathe a little bit and start thinking of how we're going to support the progress moving forward. We were just so excited and to, to help them understand the impact of this election and uh, to tell my my son my daughter you know she's also biracial like you are and this is the first time that there's a female press vice president and to them I was like what the first female vice president my four-year-old couldn't really believe that that was like such a thing because I feel for him it's like he sees male and females the same. But it's such a beautiful thing. And I think my my little girl, I kept saying like, go girl, go girl. I mean, this is so exciting. And uh, she was like, yes, go girl. Um, so she got excited with me because uh, we said like girl power. And uh, we got very excited to just celebrate when there was the mention of I may be the first one, but I'm not the last one. 
that's what it's like. Yes. I mean, that was like, I think um, one of my celebratory screams really loud, like, yes, this is what we're talking about. Knowing that our children could have that as an opportunity. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I kept saying like, look, babe, she is like you. She's like you, you know, she has a mommy who's from India and then she has a daddy who's, who's Jamaican. Someone that is like biracial, someone that you could look, look up to. It, it was nice to just being able to break it down for them. And like, even though to them, you know, we celebrate, I think for them, it's more like reinforcing what they're seeing so they could understand it, but put it into a context that they understand. Like there was no female president ever. My four-year-old, he's really into Hamilton, the musical. For Halloween, he was Washington because he wanted to be the first president. So I just uh, was able to make that connection, say, like, remember when Washington was the first president? Now we're going to have the fe- the first female vice president. <laughs> so that's the, the best way that I could have them realize what was happening. Next up was Mark, who identifies as a gay male and an Asian American. Ever since November 3rd, I literally have been addicted to news networks. (laughs) Our TV has been nonstop CNN, as well as Fox News, as well as MSNBC, in anticipation of what has transpired over the last week. I've had a lot of long nights watching the news, waiting for the results to come through, and Man, what a whirlwind of up and down roller coaster emotions. But Saturday, obviously, we were watching when Pennsylvania was called. And it was the first time in a week where I was just kind of stressed, kind of started to ease and taking a deep breath and being hopeful. What I'm scared about is the retribution from the supporters on the other side, just because we we do live in a very red state. Week over week, Biden signs were ripped down or graffitied. The Democrats here in Arizona kept putting them up. I belong to a Facebook group that is uh, Biden for Arizona, and people were posting graffitied signs and then putting them back up. We were resilient throughout the week uh, prior to the election. Right now, we're still kind of hanging in the balance, but uh, we'll see what, what happens. This whole idea of fraud worries me, but I think it's something that we knew that was going to happen. There was a newscaster, I can't remember who, um, who said, he set this country up for this. His family had been inciting violence and telling everybody, you know, vote in person, vote in person, vote in person in the middle of a pandemic. So he knew that the numbers would reflect high on the day of the election. But then when all the mail-in votes for the, the Democrats who decided to mail in because of the pandemic and those who were worried about the pandemic, then it started to turn. So he set this country up for that. And I think... What frustrates me the most is people saying, well, the news networks don't call the election, the people do. Well, 
the news networks are reporting what the Secretary of State's in each state are reporting as far as what the election outcome is. That's all they're doing. They're not making up numbers. They're not fabricating these election results. These election results are coming from the states. I watched as our Secretary of State of Arizona was on CNN reporting to them, telling them exactly what was happening. I watched as the Secretary of State from Pennsylvania reported to CNN what was actually happening and how the numbers were coming in. So I just, I guess in disbelief, but not surprised that this all happened. It's frustrating at the same time, but man, what a glorious day we had on Saturday. Biden and Harris's uh, victory speeches from Delaware were inspiring. Leaders speaking, not, not talking about themselves, but talking about us as a country, very different very, very different. I guess I'm not worried because I trust and believe in our democracy that it will prevail. But at the same time, I don't trust that family and I don't trust the current administration. I don't think race or ethnicity is something that I look at as far as clinging on to as a victory, simply because I think Obama did that for us, right? He was the first black president and broke down those racial barriers. So yes, I'm proud that we have a, a vice president who is uh, biracial, uh, identifies as black as well as uh, South Asian. But what I'm most proud of is that she's a woman. And as a gay man, I know that sounds funny, but, or as a man, actually, it sounds funny, but that is the most amazing mark, uh, part for me because women's rights have always taken a back seat in progress in our nation. And I, I do identify, and I'm very proud of that, but I'm more proud that a woman is our vice president. Next, I spoke with Heiner, who identifies as a Latinx man. Heiner grew up in Georgia and now lives in Tennessee. The moment obviously like brought a whole bunch of, of celebration. We were quite, well, maybe not as happy as the polls would have led us to believe, but we were still very happy that this four-year term of gaslighting would end on January 20th. And that was, that was a lot. It's a little bittersweet, again, because of, it, it wasn't the decisive blow to the current leadership's thinking, the current philosophy and power, which we here thought was pretty antithetical to a, a lot of the principles that this country was founded on, a lot of the principles that attracted my family to come to the U.S. in the first place. So it is a little bittersweet. Another thing that's kind of bringing in a little bit of negativity to this otherwise incredibly positive moment is that my uncle, who actually doesn't live in the United States, he lives in Mexico, but on the border, across from my aunt, who actually does live on, you know, in El Paso, Texas, on the U.S. side, he recently passed away due to complications related to the COVID pandemic. 
And to my mom, this period, I mean, he passed away maybe the the night or two after we found out the results of the election. It just kind of brought it all back, kind of brought it all back to reality on what to do in this incredibly devastating moment for our society. And that people aren't, especially here in Tennessee, aren't as patient or willing to forego some simple pleasantries like grabbing a drink at a bar on in the evening or going out to the restaurant for brunch on Sunday mornings after church. They're not willing to forego those pleasantries for the health of their fellow countrymen. I recognize that what happened to my uncle was in Mexico, but that same thing is happening here. And, you know, even though this death happened over the border, my mother can't fly to my aunt in El Paso, Texas to memorialize my uncle's life. My mother can't fly to New Jersey, where his daughter lives, to help her grieve. We're all isolated because of the absolute, absolute negligence, criminal negligence. I'm happy and I'm hopeful that we can start to see several nightmares that have been going on for the past four years. We can see the ending. But I think that this moment has taught us a lot about what society we have. I am immensely proud of Georgia today with the Biden election, with the fact that Raphael Warnock, you know, took took the highest chip in the special election. I think what I'm thinking about when it comes to Georgia, there are some amazing people in that state, Stacey Abrams included, who have really just expanded the pie for everybody to come out and vote, to feel like they belong in that state. And I mean, the demographics have changed significantly, right? Um, when I left Atlanta, I was like, I'm never coming back to this city. This, I thought that the city was stagnant. And, you know, now it's um, Black Hollywood. And it has really transformed and people are coming in from outside. And I go places and people say, oh, you're from Atlanta? I love Atlanta. And it's like, why did you go to Atlanta? <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me. But that being said, there is still that good old boy culture and I guess good old gal culture that kind of reigns through and and the people the people there will often say you know i don't like i don't like that guy talking about the current president or or you know he he's not my guy but and then they'll say something about liberals and democrats that just doesn't jive with them and it's definitely seeded in xenophobia and racism it's definitely seated in all those things that have been a part of that culture since time eternal. I am super glad that there are folks in the government like General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who are 
kind of standing there as a as as a wall for some things that are looking that are looking a lot like the kinds of things that people see in Latin America or in Africa. This I think the last week, if you were to talk to my siblings, <laughs> I think they would have all said that Heiner has lost it <laughs> because of uh, all the turnover in national security positions. But I'm I'm immensely hopeful because of individuals that really cling to the principles that build the institutions that have made this country great. Monica identifies as a 60-something newly retired caregiver. She shared her first-time experience working the polls on election day. Well, on uh, Tuesday, election day, I got up at 3.30 in the morning and headed to the, the southernmost polling location in Jefferson County, Kentucky. And it's a deeply red district, and Kentucky is a deeply red state, but I was happy to be volunteering at the polls. And actually, I found out when I got there that I, I get paid for the day, so that was an extra bonus. I was willing to give up my day to uh, help the with the election, but I get paid. Anyway, it was a wonderful day. Uh, I was at the first table, so I was checking IDs, and it was just cool how it was all on the computer, and we just took their driver's license or uh, voter ID and scanned it. And it immediately told us the whether the person had already voted or whether they were eligible to vote. And that was kind of fun. And it literally did not stop all day. We were busy all day long and cheered when it, somebody came in for their voting for the very first time and cheered for the last person to get in exactly at 6 p.m. It was that kind of day. At the end of the day, as poll workers, we weren't allowed to leave until we had counted every single remaining ballot. And it was quite a task, but we did this as a team. We had to count every single ballot that was left and the ones that had been used, we had to sign the documents by a, a Republican and a Democrat had to sign every sheet. After a while, it got we got pretty good at doing this. And honestly, it was a really good system because we had everybody looking at the ballots and no ballot was left unaccounted for. So I felt like it was a really good, fair system. Lots of people eyeing the ballots, taking care of the ballots. And it was interesting how they handled mail-in ballots because a fair number of people showed up at the polls having requested an absentee ballot and then changed their mind and they came to the polls to vote. But because of the scanning of their license into the computer system, it told us exactly how to handle that, and which I thought was really cool. So everybody was very, very careful that each voter voted only one time. Helping in the polls was a really exhilarating experience, but then realizing that it really looked like there was a possibility this creepy guy would might get reelected and 
Hannah was really down about that. But as the day progressed, and especially when Thursday came and then Friday, oh, my whole demeanor changed. And I, I got really excited thinking, oh, my goodness, it's really going to happen. And I got, I think it was sometime on Friday. I just got this tremendous burst of energy. And I, it, it was almost like um, an adrenaline rush. <laughs> but it, all of it, it was this cloud lifting off my spirit that just I've been miserable for four years. And, and uh, anyway, by Saturday, I was feeling really, really good and carrying my uh, iPad or my phone all over the place with a TV channel queued up so that wherever I was, and if anything was going to be announced, I wasn't going to miss it. And sure enough, on Saturday, I'll just never forget, I was curled up in a chair on our new sun porch, and and I heard them call the race for Biden, and I was so happy. <laughs> it was just amazing. And then it was just, the rest of the day was just, oh my goodness, it was like life just changed overnight, and just in a second. And it just really, really felt great. Just watching the television and seeing the people all over the world. What a feeling. What a feeling to be, to be part of that. And not, not be on the side that's been ignored, really, for four years. I just, I think I hate that more than anything, is that there was a person who who only ever really cared about, well, first of all, he only cared about himself, but he only talked or cared about the people who lived in red states or came to his rallies. He just, he never ever was my president. And I hated that. And now I feel like I've got a president and he's everybody's president. I think he's the person we need right at this moment to pull us all together. And he means it. He's sincere. And I, I believe him that he's going to, he's already started turning us around, sending us in the right direction. And I'm just, I'm just so happy, you know, hearing from people around the world, knowing what a relief it is to the rest of the world that America hasn't sunk so low that we can't come back. Four years ago, we didn't understand what social media was doing, the role they were playing in our uh, political discussions. And what I experienced was a lot of hate but uh, I was naive about, and, and most of the country was, about what was happening with uh, social media. And I made a decision to unfollow or block people who said angry, mean things. I just had to limit who I contacted. And instead, what I did is I kind of started reading a lot and listening to really good reliable news sources and trying to get a broader perspective so I could understand and eventually talk responsibly about what and and knowledgeably 
about what was going on. Okay, fast forward four years and we have a new president now. And I do think everybody's talking about time to heal, time to heal. And so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that that's going to happen, but I still don't want to put myself in a position where the angry, sore losers, and that's kind of how, you know, they're portraying themselves right now. The angry, sore losers are, are kind of combustible. So I'm happy to still keep my distance and be kind of cautious waiting out there. I don't want to be somebody who does the nana nana boo boo thing, you know, where I, my guy won and your guy lost. I don't want to do that sort of thing. As far as my family is concerned, it's real interesting. My family that I'm close to have reached out to me. The ones that I know have different thoughts and feelings um, have not, but that's been the case. You know, we're, we're kind of broken right now and we'll come back together someday. Rodrigo identifies as a documented mestizo. In our first conversation, he told me how his life hung in the balance, depending on the results of the election. I think the first thing was a sense of relief. You know, my kind of chest opened up, my shoulders kind of dropped back, and I just felt like, oof, like some weight was lifted. That feels really good, and I'm really glad that that a nightmare is over. For the first time in a long time, I started to dream again. And what I mean by that is to kind of have hope and think longer than or beyond the expiration date of my work permit. I think my work permit right now expires in in October of 2021. And I think for this first time in, in four years, I was able to think past that date and say, man, like there might actually be like, a path to citizenship there might be a way for me to get legal in the country and become a permanent resident and potentially a u.s citizen and that is that has made me very happy and it's completely changed my mood every day because i feel like i spend a lot of time just thinking wow imagine if i could go to mexico and visit my my tias and my tios what if i could go to paris and fulfill this like long life dream that i've had with my sister to go to the louvre i've just i think it's just changed my mood entirely so so i'm very grateful for for all the work that that everyone's done to to get us to this point i know there's a lot of work ahead but it's been important for me to just say wow i can i can start envisioning a new future for myself and for everyone around me too this is something that I've had to learn to, to really navigate ever since I was an immigrant growing up in Arizona. There is like the joy of, of getting wins sometimes and, and always like this distant in the back of your mind anxiety and worry about a backlash. And I think at the Arizona in the elections, what I, what I started seeing first like right after election there, I don't know if this made the national news, but there was a whole Sharpie fiasco. So, you know, at first I thought this is ridiculous. Like they're just, whoever is stoking this sentiment is just stoking the fire of, 
of people that are misinformed and and you know when i look when you look at the state of arizona they had recommended <laughs> that sharpies be used and so it was just a nightmare to uh, to hear that that was being used as a way to foment anti-democratic sentiment and and then that same night you know people started coming together first at city council then at the state capitol which is just a mile or two away you know i've seen this before at the capitol where these guys come and they're dressed in full military gear they have ar-15s and obviously the the main thing that i think everybody probably noticed is that all over the u.s you know pro-biden people were celebrating except in phoenix and that's because the the spaces to celebrate were not safe. I think in 2018, I went to the teacher strike and there were guys with, with AR-15s there. And I just remember feeling like, I want to call the cops because I don't feel safe. Like, what if these guys get mad and start shooting the thousands of people that are here? And I would talk to the, to the security guards at the Capitol and they said, it's their right to be here, blah, blah, blah. And it just didn't feel safe. And and that's that and that's what i'm i'm seeing here and it's made me it's made me think man like what what could the backlash look like thankfully arizona was called by a few different organizations a couple days ago so i feel like we're going to have a civil <laughs> closing to to that to those protests i mean the other thing that i'm feeling you know is not that not two or three months ago my peers were protesting the death of George Floyd, you know, the police pretty much quashed that protest brutally. I couldn't understand. These were peaceful protests. People were not carrying guns. How is it that these individuals protesting with guns were allowed to protest peacefully? As in, you know, the police didn't brutally attack them. That, I think... It does have me worried. I'm not going to lie. It, it does have me worried. And part of like, and, and then how this manifests itself, like when I think, okay, this is what's going on at the, at the local level in, in Arizona, where these people like are carrying guns, and no one is like raising a quip about it. But when innocent peaceful protesters like try to make a point, they get attacked. You know, it makes me think at the national level about, you know, what Stephen Miller, uh, might do in terms of immigration. I've talked to some of my friends and we're thinking like, oh my God, what if they use all the information they have on us and like ICE comes to our homes and like takes us to detention centers? Like that's a possibility. That's that's kind of like the dark side. The As an immigrant, I've always kind of have these crazy <laughs> thoughts in my mind. I mean, they sound crazy, but it does happen. You know, we know that there's been activists that are targeted by ICE. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how, how, what, what I've seen and, and how it makes me feel. One of the best parts about the Biden acceptance speech was when he mentioned the entire coalition, to be honest. It was great that he mentioned immigrant youth and DACA beneficiaries like myself in the speech. I felt seen, I felt validated. But what I loved is that, you know, he mentioned the whole coalition, people of color, black people, Latinos, Latinas, Asian Americans, people with disabilities, 
Native Americans, LGBTQ+. He mentioned everyone. And it was a great moment for me because it was like we've been left out and attacked for so long. And I think it was like a way for him to say, like, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not. That's not what this government is about. This administration is about the entire coalition, all the diversity. And I absolutely love that. And and it gave me this impression that it's going to be a more like it, I'm going to feel more open and I'm going to feel freer in the next few years. And it just meant the world to be included. You know, I've never wanted to do anything else but contribute to society and to my brothers and sisters. So that felt great. And I'm really glad he pointed everyone out. And I'm really curious to see what his cabinet is going to look like, much like Trudeau in Canada did a few years where he created this really represent representative cabinet. I hope Biden and Harris do the same this time around. I think that would not only look awesome, but I think it would feel amazing. Jennifer identifies as a cisgender white woman and a mother. When it really looked like Biden was going to be our next president, I felt this huge relief move through my whole body. Like this sense of, of hope and relief that human decency still has a chance in the leadership of our country and that there is still hope for our country to move forward and to turn away from the last four years of hypocrisy and divisiveness. Um, so it was a really, really powerful week for so many of us. And uh, the following day, I was exhausted. I, I just, I finally felt in my body how much stress I've been under in like the last, this election cycle. And I was so exhausted. I was nauseous and ended up taking a nap to just allow my body to recover and to, to fully feel the effects, the after effects of, of the stress leading up to this moment and this, this change. I don't know if you've seen this image, but there was a there was an image um, a friend of mine sent of the way the elections would have turned out if only people of color had voted, or only women had voted, or only white educated males had voted, and it was really shocking to see the um, the the layout of the of of the states based on these demographics. And the people of color from this, this um, map it looked like it was the people of color that really shifted the tides of the election. And there, there is this incredible celebration for that people are rising up and really having a voice now and their voices are being heard. And I'm so, so excited for that shift because 
when in the history of this country have people of color had such a deciding factor in the way that um, the, their, their world could possibly look. So that was really um, uplifting to see on that side, but then really, really um, heartbreaking to see that there still is such a divide that the white-bodied people, no matter their education, still tended to, to vote Republican. And I checked in with my, my own white-bodied self, and there was a little part of myself that felt a bit of fear because there is like being a white bodied privileged person, I have been protected by the system up until now, right? And there's a sense of like, what happens to my white bodied privilege as the system starts to break down? I, I feel like we're on the precipice of change and that this change is the potential of change has created a huge amount of fear for people that have been protected by the system and um, supported by the system. Whereas now we're moving, hopefully moving towards a future where there will be a um, redistribution of power. So the larger part of myself is really looking forward to how everything is going to change in the future and really really hopeful that things will change and that people will be treated equally and there will be a sense of a real true sense of equality and along with that equality there will be a time of redemption and also a time a real time of accountability and responsibility for how we got to the place where we could where we had these four years of real divisiveness and all out of racism. And so now um, we're moving forward to hopefully to a, a new, truly united states. for listening. Timestamp is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with original music by Maddie Schuler. You can find us at timestamppodcast.com and can subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.